welcome to today's podcast from Property Apprentice. My name is Debbie Roberts. So today I'm going to be talking about lessons learned from previous recessions. As a reminder for anyone who's tuned into our podcasts before or been to one of our free events, you'll know that um, as registered financial advisors, the information that I've got in these uh, public presentations uh, cannot be taken as being individual financial advice. The information that I'm providing is very general in nature. Also, if you need help from accountants or lawyers or mortgage advisors or insurance advisors, we recommend that you get in touch with professionals who speak specialise in property investing, just to make sure that you're getting the best information possible. So some of the lessons that we've learned from previous recessions, first of all, headlines can be absolutely terrifying. So when you're listening to the television or radio or reading articles online, or if you still read old-fashioned papers, that's fine too. But just remember that some of those headlines can be scary. And the reason that they're scary is because they're designed to grab your attention. And scary headlines grab your attention a lot faster than good news headlines. It's just human nature. So it is important that if you read a headline that seems to be quite scary, make sure that you read the fine print because oftentimes what you'll see is that buried about three quarters of the way down the article, you'll see that there's a small, like sometimes only one line, which actually explains the reason for the scary headline. Some examples that we've seen recently, things like the settlements in April. So sales in April, property sales in April plummeted compared to this time last year. And then towards the bottom of the article, you'll see obviously that settlements didn't happen during April because we were in level four and level three. And so very, very few property transactions actually went ahead as they normally would have. So that explained the reason. But the headline still grabs your attention and goes, <gasps> you know. So just uh, take the headlines with a bit of a grain of salt and try and put a bit of perspective into things. Hindsight has always got 2020 vision. So I've lost count of how many times people have said to us, oh, you know, we were waiting for this or we were waiting for that and it never happened. So uh, now we look back and think, oh gosh, I wish I'd bought something six months ago or 12 months ago or two years ago. So don't live with regret. Make sure that you're purchasing properties that make sense for you today. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. When you're looking at investing in property, there are a lot of investors out there who believe that the only reason to invest in property is for capital gain. And that's not true. You actually need to balance capital growth with cash flow to be able to reach your long-term goals for property investing. Because with the new Responsible Lending Code, well, it's not so new now, but um, the Responsible Lending Code in New Zealand means that banks have to not only make sure that you've got enough provable income to support the amount of debt that you're looking at, but you've also got a, a, a sufficient amount of equity so that you're not over-leveraging yourself outside of the comfort zone. So if you are buying property with the intention solely for the reason for capital gain, you might be waiting a while for that to happen, depending on where you're investing in. Because the other good thing about New Zealand is that we have not just one property market. You know, different areas across the country will operate at different stages of the property cycle. You know, people tend to call it a property cycle or a property clock. Whereas one part of the country might be moving into a booming market, another part of the country can be slowing down 
down and, and heading into a correction. So make sure that you don't invest purely for capital gain and that you're not relying on capital gain to make that deal work. Also make sure that you're not relying on future rent increases to make the numbers work. So don't try and fudge the numbers when you're crunching your numbers to work out whether it's a good investment for you. You need to be making your purchasing decisions based on the information that we've got today. And if you can't say that you're buying it for cash flow and you're not buying it for instant equity and you're not going to get great capital growth in the short to midterm, then that is not an investment. You're actually gambling and hoping for the best. So always make your decisions based on the facts, what we've got today and what makes sense for you financially. It's important that you don't over leverage yourself when you're investing in property, especially if it's a property that you are going to struggle to afford when interest rates increase. So at the moment, we've got record low interest rates. And what we're seeing is that there's a lot of home buyers who are really stretching themselves, buying first homes to the value of 800000 for example, because they think, oh, with interest rates as low as they are, we can afford to buy a house. And with the with the Reserve Bank announcement that they've lifted the um, deposit requirement, some of the banks have since come out and made a decision as to how they're going to deal with that. So some of the banks are happy to lend to home buyers above. 80%, so they don't need the 20% deposit anymore. So what we're seeing is that there's a lot of home buyers in the market who are buying properties that they can only just afford when interest rates are 3%, but they haven't necessarily made sure that they can comfortably afford that property if interest rates increase. Now, banks crunch the numbers on a higher interest rate than we've currently got, but just because a bank tells you that you can afford to get a property or just because a bank tells you that they're going to lend you money to buy a property, that doesn't mean that you can actually afford it. So you need to be the one that looks after your own budget. You know, Make sure that you're crunching the numbers and being realistic with your budget. Make sure that you're not over-leveraging yourself and crunch your numbers on how much that mortgage is going to cost you when interest rates get back to the long-term average, which is closer to 7% than 3%. Okay. Remember that banks follow their own rules. So something that I quite often say to people is that the bank is not your friend. People tend to think that they've got a good relationship with their bank if they've been banking with a particular bank for a long time. But you need to understand that banks are risk-averse, and they make their own rules and they can change those rules quite quickly and without warning. So, for example, with the Reserve Bank lifting the restrictions for deposits, not all of the banks have decided to go along with that because the Reserve Bank's lifted the deposit requirement for at least the next 12 months, so at least until March next year, end of March next year, so 2021. The banks don't have to do that. And some of the banks are holding back. They're still requiring a bigger deposit at the moment. They're still trying to figure out how they're going to deal with it. Some of the banks have come out and said, yeah, that's fine. We'll, we'll lend up to, you know, 90, sometimes 95% for home buyers. And some banks have said, we're happy to go 80% for investors. But the majority of banks haven't actually said how they're going to deal with this moving forward. It's completely the opposite from when the reserve Bank imposed the restrictions. So when the Reserve Bank imposed the restrictions, the banks had no choice. 
they had to follow those rules because the Reserve Bank wanted to make sure that we didn't end up in a bubble, you know, with house prices um, increasing exponentially a lot faster than they normally would have because of a lot of competition in the market. So they were trying to take the heat out of the market. And if you listened to the AM show this morning, you would have seen Harry Dent being advertised. You might have already also seen articles that he's published recently where he's talking about the New Zealand housing market being massively overvalued and it's a bubble that's about to burst. And we're about to head into this massive recession, worse than the Great Depression. All these sort of attention-grabbing headlines And I think one of the things that he hasn't taken into account is that the Reserve Bank took the heat out of the property market. So the Reserve Bank imposed the restrictions. It's meant that there's not too many people who are over leveraged on property at the moment. And so that gives you a level of protection there. So even if if property values do drop, As long as you're negotiating hard on the properties that you buy today, then you're going to build in a safety buffer there just in case values do drop. So you're not relying on capital gain and you also don't want to be crunching the numbers on future rent increases because, let's face it, there's a rent freeze uh, for six months from the end of March. So we're not going to have rent increases on existing tenancies. Um, New tenancies, you will be able to charge market rent, but existing tenancies, you're not going to be able to increase the rent on those doors. You'll be waiting at least six months to be able to get any form of rent increase. And then who knows what market rent might be doing at that particular time. So always make your purchase decisions based on the facts that you've got in front of you today. It's really important, and this is a lesson that we learned from the previous recession, it's important to avoid relying on something like a revolving credit facility, for example, if you need to have some financial help to top up cash flow. And the reason that we say avoid that is because uh, just before the global financial crisis, there were a lot of investors who were buying properties and renovating them to increase the value. And then they were setting up a revolving credit facility against that increased value. And because the property was negative cash flow pre-tax, they were using that revolving credit facility to fund the shortfall. So it's a really dangerous strategy to use. And a lot of investors got caught short in the global financial crisis because when we enter into a recession, banks tighten up their lending criteria. And as I mentioned before, they can change their rules really quickly. So what we saw in the GFC and even in the previous recession to that, banks can cancel revolving credit facilities without warning. So if you were relying on a revolving credit facility to help fund the shortfall on a rental property and all of a sudden the bank cans it and you no longer have access to the available equity to help with the cash flow, you might find yourself in some real trouble. So make sure that you're not using any high-risk strategies like that at this stage in the cycle. We recommend split banking whenever possible. So that means that you're spreading your risk around the lenders. You, you don't have all of your lending with one bank. So in an ideal world, for example, we would recommend that you have uh, your home loan with one bank and your mortgage properties with a different bank or, or a few different banks, depending on how many you've got. So make sure you get good advice from a mortgage advisor or a mortgage broker and they can help you with that 
that process. It means that you've got a lot more control over what happens in your situation. So for example, if you've got all of your lending with one bank, including your home, and you needed to sell one of your properties to release some equity, let's say you were made redundant, just for example. So you you might decide to sell a property that you've owned for a number of years, so you've got a good amount of equity there. And you might be thinking that you're gonna use that released equity in the form of cash to help fund life until you find another job. If all of your banking is with one bank, the bank can actually take all of the proceeds of the sale of that property and use it to pay down the mortgage on one of your other properties with that bank. So spreading your lending across a number of different banks means that you don't lose as much control to the banks when they start getting risk averse. It is important to manage your interest rate expiry dates and also if you're on interest only with some of your mortgages or all of your mortgages, then it's important that you manage that as well. So I'm not going to go into too much detail about that. I might um, get one of the mortgage advisors that we work with on one of our podcasts coming up soon. So it's not just me that you're listening to. It'd be great to interview some other professionals in their fields as well. So I'll ear tag uh, one of our mortgage advisors to come on and, and go into a bit more detail about ways that you can reduce the risk when it comes to lending at a future episode. Okay, it is really important when you're investing and especially in times like this, that you've got a really good strategic plan and you've got a set of purchasing guidelines that you are going to stick to. So some of the things that you might wanna have in your strategic plan is uh, what sort of strategies are you going to use? Are you gonna use a long-term buy and hold? Are you going to use a combination of buy and hold and trading? What sort of buy and holds are you going to do? Are you going to do any developments? You know, all of those sort of things. There's bunches of different strategies that you can use with property investing. And some of the purchase guidelines that you can use, they'll relate to things like how much equity do you need in the deal? What sort of cash flow do you need? What sort of gross yield or net yield? What's your return on deposit? How quickly are you going to be able to recycle your equity out of the deal in order to reach your long-term goals? So to come up with a strategic plan and a set of purchasing guidelines, you need to know what it is that you're trying to achieve from investing, what time frame you're working with, what level of risk you feel comfortable with, and all of those sort of things to help put your plan together. So when you are using a strategy that's got a slightly higher risk than some of the others, for example, rent by room or Airbnb, or um, trading or flipping, as some people call it flipping these days, it's really important that you've got a plan B if things don't go to plan. So for example, an Airbnb property or rent by room, your plan B might be how much rent am I going to get if it was just rented out as a normal house? So that was just one example there. And can you afford it if it's that situation? When it comes to trading property, if it doesn't sell, what's your plan B? Are you going to keep it as a rental until things pick up? Or would you sell it for a loss? All of those different things. So you need to think all those things through. Remember that in the property market, time fixes everything as long as you can hold on <laughs> for long enough to allow for time to fix everything. So obviously it's a lot cheaper 
to avoid making mistakes to begin with. And that's why having that strategic plan and a set of purchasing guidelines and plan Bs and everything that I've mentioned already, that will reduce your risk of making a big mistake, okay? But if you do make a mistake or if something goes not as planned, uh, then just remember that as long as you can hold on, time will fix everything. And even in the global financial crisis, what we saw some areas that dropped in value significantly, it was only two to three years, like Auckland, for example, some of the suburbs in Auckland fell in value by 20%. So registered valuations were 20% lower at the worst point in the global financial crisis than they were prior to the GFC. So at the end of 2000. It was only two to three years after that before values had bounced back to higher than they were at the peak of the boom. So time heals everything in the housing market. And as our coach said to us a few times, if anything ever goes wrong in property, just sit down, have a cup of tea, and it'll be okay. Just work your way through it and it'll be okay as long as you've stuck to your fundamentals and your purchase guidelines. The only time you'll lose money in the property market or through property investing is if you have to sell when the property market's not working in your favour. So if you have to sell, you're in a position of what we call a motivated vendor. And if it's a buyer's market, that means there's not many buyers actually in the market. So sometimes what happens is that the only people that are buying are people who are looking for a bargain. And that means that they're not going to be happy to pay you full price for a property. They're going to try and get it for the lowest price possible. And if you can not hold on to that property if you have to sell it then sometimes you might find yourself in a position where you have to sell it for a loss or um, lose the property to mortgagee sale so just make sure that you've covered all your fundamentals to reduce the risk of that happening remember after every boom there's always a correction and after every correction or slump there's always another recovery followed by another boom it's the normal stage in the property cycle so what we're going through now is absolutely normal for the property market you know at some stages it goes up other stages it slows down sometimes it dips into negative territory and I know I've got listeners right across New Zealand here and, and from places outside of New Zealand as well so I just want you to remember that I am talking in general terms because before COVID we had some areas in New Zealand that were showing really strong signs of recovery like Auckland, Hamilton just to name a couple and there were also also other areas in New Zealand that were coming off the peak of the boom. So they were already starting to slow down before we even knew that COVID-19 existed. So, you know, those areas uh, were already past the peak of the boom, heading into a correction. So obviously, this pandemic has, has just sped that up a little bit. There will be some parts of the country that will struggle in the recession um, and there'll be others that will be okay. So there are always opportunities that are created in each of the different stages of the property cycle. And I'm going to talk about that in one of the upcoming podcasts as well. So what we do know is that over previous property cycles, the downturns and slumps in the property market have always tended to be much shorter than the recoveries and booms. So that means that you get a much longer period of growth on average than you get 
as a period of correction or downturn. So it pays to remember that if you're going through a period of pain in the property market, it tends to be a lot shorter. So hang in there and and hopefully ride it out, potentially, preferably thrive during that downturn because there will be some great opportunities there to get some good deals. So the picture I've got up now, just for those of you that are watching the video, I've got slumps and peaks in the New Zealand property cycle history over the last few cycles. So you'll see that the bottom of the slump was 1987, followed by the peak of the boom in 1988. So that was only 12 months. Then we had a, a downturn again, and the bottom of the slump was 1992. So from 1988 to 1992, that was the correction. And then the peak of the next boom was 1997. Then we had the bottom of the slump at 1999 and the peak of the next boom in 2007, which was the global financial crisis shortly after that. Bottom of the market was 2009, just two years afterwards. And then the peak of this last boom for the majority of New Zealand was actually the middle of 2016. So things slowed down. And then we started to see signs of recovery in 2019, which is where we've called it the bottom of the market there. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few months. I'm certainly not expecting the whole country to crash. We don't have a bubble in real estate in New Zealand. There'll be pockets in the country where values will drop and also potentially registered valuations might fall a little bit because the number of sales might be lower and the only people that will be buying in certain areas are investors who are looking for a really good deal. So just hang in there and uh, make your decisions on purchasing based on your needs and your requirements. So just to round things up, uh, I wanted to say that people who try and time the market tend to get it wrong. At this stage, we're hearing a lot of people that are saying, oh, what do you think? Do you think the market's going to crash? Maybe there's going to be better deals around six months from now. So what I want to say to that is if you can buy a deal now, when there's potentially less buyers in the market, because the rest of them are all sitting there waiting for the market to crash, which might not happen, but if you're active in the market now and negotiating hard to get the best deal possible, then you've built in that buffer on purchase. So if the market does drop in value a bit further, it's going to have to drop as much as you've negotiated the discount to make it break even as far as you're concerned. Something that people forget is that when they're trying to time the bottom of the market, the only time that you know that you're at the bottom of the market is when the market started to pick back up again. I was talking to a first-home buyer in Auckland a couple of days ago, and they were saying that there was a property that came on the market in the area that they were looking in. It was like within 24 hours, they were putting everything together to make a pre-auction offer to bring the auction date forward. And it ended up that the vendors accepted another pre-auction offer. So the auction was brought forward to a couple of days after. There were five bidders on that property. That's a strong property market, especially in, in times like this. So 
don't try and and wait for the market to tank because it might not and like I said you only know that you're at the bottom once the market started to pick up again so you might find if you're waiting for six months six months from now you might look back and think I should have bought six months ago when it was cheaper now the market's taking off again the other thing to remember is that at times when the market does drop in value, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, I'm just saying if it does, you need to remember that banks get nervous. So you might be able to get lending today. If values drop in six months from now, you might not qualify for lending. So you'd be better off to get something today than hope that the deals get better and that you still can get lending six months from now. It's at stages uh, in recessions that builders and developers often go broke because banks pull their funding for them. So even partway through a development, the bank can change their mind and pull the funding so that that means that the developers can't complete that deal. The banks don't like lending on bare land in times um, of recession. They get nervous about all those strategies that they see as being higher risk. So if you're looking at buying a property off the plans that can be a riskier strategy at this stage in the cycle so just be really careful about things like that don't wait for the bottom of the market like I said before sometimes the best thing that you can do is to do nothing so if you find that at the moment you can't find the right sort of deal for you don't panic that's okay just buckle down and try and fix the reason that you can't get lending so that you can buy as soon as you can. As soon as you can qualify for lending, then go for it. So as long as you are buying the right sort of property for your position, okay, I can't stress that enough. Don't just buy anything because there is no such deal as one size fits all when it comes to property investing. There are absolutely hundreds and hundreds of investors who've bought the wrong sort of property for their financial situation and they've lost money because they had to sell it uh, when the going got tough. So just remember that bank lending rules can change quickly and without warning and you don't want to be on the wrong side of that. So it is really important that you balance your portfolio with capital gain as well as cash flow. Capital growth, we can't control, but you absolutely can control what number crunching you do before you purchase a property. So as I mentioned earlier, make sure you understand market values. Make sure that you're not um, overcapitalizing. You know, you're not over leveraging yourself. Make sure you're not hoping for capital gain to make the deal work. And make sure that you're not banking on future rent increases to make the deal work either. Make your decisions based on the facts that you've got in front of you today. And if it makes sense today, then chances are it's still going to make sense 10 years from now. That wraps up today's session. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got some useful information out of that. If you haven't been to one of our free events before, then you're more than welcome to join us. We're still running them online until further notice. So it doesn't matter whereabouts you are in the world or across the country, you can book for one of our upcoming free events at propertyapprentice.co.nz. 
Email us at info at propertyapprentice.co.nz. Grab some of the free resources that we've got on our website and make sure that you don't miss any of our Property Apprentice podcasts by subscribing. Uh, look for them in the place where you find your podcasts. So we're on a whole bunch of them. So just do a search for Property Apprentice podcast and I'm sure you'll find us. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.